I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. Hey guys, this is Howard, Goblin Stompcast. It's Wednesday evening, and that means Darren and I are hanging out, talking game. And Darren, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Just trying to recover from the uh, the old tornado that passed about a mile north of my house last night. Good uh, times. I try to not live where there's tornadoes. That's one of my. That's why I left Texas. Well, that's one of a long list of reasons I left Texas. Uh, How did you get a lot of tornadoes? Wisconsin. No, actually, it's the first one probably three, four years. Uh, that still seems too frequent to me, but okay. It, it's a little nerve-wracking. I called my mom. She lives like an hour or a mile away from me. I'm like, hey, you should come over. She said, nah, if something happens, just look in my closet. They'll be in there. <laughs> right. That's where you'll find me, dead or alive. <laughs> That's where my body will be. Right. Look for the hangers. My body won't be far. Uh, yeah, so That's rough. <laughs> She lives alone, your mom? She does. Right. And how old is your mom, for everybody listening? Tell your mom's age. Yeah, 20 years older than me. Yeah, it's old. It's old. Uh, yeah, my parents are in their 70s. It's a weird time, you know? I don't know how I'm supposed to act towards my Yeah, dad. it's kind of that in-between. Yeah. They're not quite, like, demented, my parents, at this point. I mean, I guess a case could be made that they have always been demented, but, uh, you know, the phone calls to Texas, are they're always the same. You know, like, they always begin and end with weather. Did you notice that when you talk to old people? They, yeah, they, there's a lot of weather. There's talk. a lot of weather and health issues being yeah. discussed. Coincidentally, we started talking with weather. Yeah. Well, there you go. Tornado. We're old. We're headed. We're practicing for later. <laughs> That's what we're doing. <laughs> Uh, so how was your week in gaming? Mine was not that exciting. Uh, it was interesting. Um, we had the, uh, portable hole into a bag of holding scenario happen. That's not allowed. You can't put a pocket dimension into another pocket dimension. Well, you can, if you're ready for the repercussions. Well, you shouldn't. It's like crossing the streams. You know what I mean? It's bad. <laughs> exactly. Were there exactly. repercussions? There were indeed um, sucked to another dimension kind of repercussions. So any casualties? Any dead yes, characters? one down. Ooh, one down. Yeah, uh, which is strange because it's a five E game and you can't kill anything in five E. It's hard. <laughs> it's not like a basic. It's very right. easy to die in basic. Uh, so you had a guy roll three times and he just was like, "Fail, fail, fail." Guess I'm dead. That- yeah, never even yeah. rolled. It was, uh, congratulations, you've been sucked into another dimension. Yeah, ripped apart into many pieces, and there's no cover. Um, Actually, apparently he's still floating in the ethereal plane. I always call it the ethereal. Is it ethereal? I don't know. I don't know either. All right. Somebody will call in and tell us what it's Larry, we need Larry for that. Follow me and die, Larry. We'll know if it's ethereal or ethereal. I've always said ethereal, but I could be wrong. Um, it's happened. It happened once in 1986. I was wrong. 
<laughs> um, so uh, wh- why why did we put a portable hole into a bag of holding? What, what well, was- it actually turned out to be an item that had, it was a trapped item that had a um, portable hole on one end of it. It was a hammer. And somehow the hammer was going to blow up at some point. But Somehow. the hammer, wait, the ha- I'm going to get this right. So the hammer had a portable hole attached to it? Yeah, on the on the hammer end of it. On the, the head of the hammer. Yeah, and uh-huh. the, the player found it and said, oh, that's cool. I'll put it in my bag of holding until I can look at it. Right. Unaware. Unaware correct. that there was a portable hole. All right. So the weapon, when used correctly, it would bash a creature to another dimension? Was that? Yeah, I don't know. We never got to that point because it just blew up. I have to say, um, that is not the sort of magical weapon I would create. Uh, it no, seems... I think it was fully intended to be some sort of trap. But who would... But by who? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, other right, than right. from the DM? Yeah, I mean, what mage would make something like that? Well, beyond that, like, how would anyone know that you had a bag of hold, like, that the guy, it wasn't a trap, like, oh, I'll just wait for people with a bag of holding to come, and the portable hole hammer will create a dimensional mess, you know, that's... Yeah, I we never really got to the bones behind why it was there's a lot of dm caressing in that particular scenario that has me you know concerned i mean look i know you have a limited (laughs) amount of options for games does something like that happen and you think to yourself i maybe i don't need to be at this table or it is it fun enough where it's like oh oh it's it's definitely fun enough um it's just a different kind of game um, it's really kind of a mix, right? There's some, some old grognards like us in the game. And then there's some, I mean, listen, the guy that runs the game is a pastor. Right. Right. So no, you can infer what you like from that statement, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just not your typical gaming group. Right. And, uh, he does a lot of, he brings a lot of like real world into the game. So he's got Ferengi running around. Well, they're not and, real world. You mean like altered, like other? Yeah, I mean like other, other genres. Yeah, yeah. He's got his other experiences bundled into the game. Yeah, I mean we ran across a Five Guys burger and fries in his world, and see, I don't, I don't know if I could hang. But all right, if you're having a good time, I mean that's yeah, what really matters. I think it. Everybody has a different kind of good time, so. Uh, yeah, nobody's fun is wrong. Well, that's not true. There's definitely wrong. <laughs> yeah, but that's a whole that's a whole podcast. That's many pod. That's like eight podcasts in a row of your fun. That's is a whole wrong. series. Yeah, I'm. I just pissed a whole bunch of people off. Right? Oh, you said our fun was wrong. To hell with that guy. He doesn't know. That means we'll get a lot of listens. I don't know. I think you know some hangups right at that point when I said you could have wrong fun. Somebody went click. click. I don't like this podcast. I'm done. <laughs> um, yeah, I did not game this week. I tried. You were well, there. Yeah, we tried. Yeah, yeah. So Fantasy Grounds, I mentioned it on the little shortcast today. Just I did an update, and sometimes the updates break the campaigns, and it broke my campaign. And it's easy enough to fix, but it it, it stops your game from happening for a night, which it did. 
So um, if you want to know more about that, just, I guess, listen to the previous 13-minute podcast. I'm going to do it again. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, that's the TLDR podcast. Yeah, but that was my whole week in gaming. I sort of prepped a little uh, to run you guys. And still looking for, like, a third and fourth player. You know, I put an ad on FG but uh, on the forums. But I, so many 5e games are running and so many people want 5e. And I think it's just it's tough to find uh old school players wanting to play an old school rule set well they're out there we'll find them oh they're definitely out there yeah no i don't mind i'd rather it take a little time and find the right people uh than than the alternative so speaking of old games we were just talking before the show about like what your favorite non dungeons and dragons old game is old role-playing game i played many by the way, so I'm going to let you talk first about yours because I, you, you mentioned you had fewer experiences outside of the uh, of the the D and D zone. Yeah, super, actually limited uh, on the different kind of rule sets we played. Um, we dabbled with Star Frontiers. Uh, Hobbs and I were rapping on uh, Discord about that right. uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I don't know, uh, Gamma World. For a while, was kind of interesting. Uh, I played a little Gamma World, not enough to talk intelligently about it. I don't yeah, I don't think I played any of them enough to talk intelligently about them, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um, but it I, was kind of fun once in a while to get out of the fantasy genre. When you were at the game store, did you ever see things on shelves and think, oh, I should be buying these other games? Or did you just not spend time at game stores? Or I didn't spend a lot of time at game stores. Again, we didn't have one anywhere near us. So right. it was a, it was a trip yeah. to get there. And, you know, basically if somebody came to a game with a book, I'd take a look at it and maybe we'd try it for a session or two, but right. we always fell back to D and D. It was just kind of the thing that we played. Yeah. I think primarily I played uh, a D and D, but I definitely played a lot of different games. I don't know if someone like really twisted my arm. It would be hard. I, I liked a lot of different games. I loved, I remember when Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay came out. The, I had the hardback, the first edition. I love that book. It, first of all, it was just it, like beautifully illustrated. It was amazing artwork. <clears throat> and the world was so unique. And the system was strange. I, I played my fair share of it. As a, well, I ran my fair share of it. It was very hard to find anyone else who could run it or who would run it. That was, was it, always a thing. Was that, complicated or no? Not that it was complicated. I I think just people were a bit genre stuck or maybe system stuck, mm-hmm. and, or they would look at it and think, "Oh, that." Uh, I I mean, I would say that uh, death came a bit quicker in that system than it did in AD and D. Although any decent dm if he wanted to fend off death with roll fudging could could have done that i guess sure was uh, warhammer tied in any way to the to the the battle system battle system yeah uh it was sorry a little flemmy so it was uh you could they i think initially they did try to include rules for large-scale miniature battle so that you could sort of run an adventure and include uh, an option for battle with it. I never used it. I was never interested in miniature wargaming, and I know that's really at the heart of what what ultimately became D&D, but 
it, it was something that never really interested me. As close as I ever got to that was just soldiers and, and Indians and cowboys, you know, just like little plastic figurines and, and Lincoln logs that you could throw across the room. Right. So, and step on when you weren't watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I played a lot of different rule sets. I, I remember being introduced to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the role-playing game, TMNT. The, um, you know, Palladium put out a lot of books, and I, I liked a lot of them. TMNT was one of them. I, I played a lot of Palladium fantasy role-playing. Again, it was, these were systems. So I, I forget who it was who was my DM for TMNT. It might have been Dennis, even. I don't remember. Uh, but... I love that game. I thought that that is so different from anything, you know, uh, from character creation all the way through to, to gameplay, which is very, very different. Um, I, Did you, you know, ever play any uh, MURPS, Middle, Middle Earth, Earth role playing? playing? No. I knew about it. I was, I was on the shelves. I had any number of opportunities to buy it. I never did. I spent my money on a lot of the Palladium books. I bought the TMNT book. I bought the Rifts book. Uh, I bought the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay book and a lot of other WFRP supplements. I owned a copy of Chivalry and Sorcery. I owned a copy of RuneQuest. But my copy of RuneQuest was, I believe, like a bootleg. I think Dennis owned the actual books and he worked at an architecture firm, and he had use of a lot of, copies of copying it. equipment. So yeah. we would share a lot of material but just between us, not selling it to other people, but just sharing it between ourselves by making copies of stuff. And uh, we played – Dennis was hot on Robotech. We played, oh, yeah. I was thinking Cyberpunk, too. We, were, we played we were a lot of Cyberpunk. cyberpunk. Dennis loved running Cyberpunk. I think he desperately wanted to play it, and I tried to run it, and I was not a good GM for that system. But I did very much love Cyberpunk, and I was so very into like reading William Gibson at that point and Bruce Sterling at that point. So I was already deep in the, in the literary end of that genre, and uh, I don't know how popular it really got. I, I, you know, there was a time... In the early 90s, where I was a subscriber to Early Wired and another magazine, Mondo 2000, mm, which was never heard. Of, I've heard of Wired, but yeah, look up Mondo 2000. That's pretty cool. Um, it was more cyberpunky, I think. You know, because cyberpunk stuff was trying to really make its way into the real world. It was it was making a very aggressive attempt. And it never really succeeded. I think in another 10 or 15 years, we're going to feel that. There's going to be another, like a second wave of that cyberpunk trying to make its way in. And we'll have the tech to really uh, make it happen. Sure. I'll be too old to enjoy it. And I, uh, I know you're not nearly into the video gaming world like I am. But mm -mm. Um, the people that did Witcher 3 CD Projekt Red... They're bringing out um, Cyberpunk, right? Yeah, Cyberpunk 2020. It's yeah. going to be uh, like an MMORPG kind of thing, I think. I, I saw that the previews for that were stunning. Whether or not they'll pull it off in actual play, we'll see. I, I am I am happy to give them my money if if they can pull off a real good experience. Uh, but I, I have my doubts 
Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it is a tough. It, but it worked so well as a role playing game. I mean, mechanically, I don't think it was a great role playing game. It was a lot of damage flying. Anytime I think you're incorporating, uh, you know, modern weapons into gaming mm-hmm. and role playing, it becomes difficult. There is a lot of damage flying around the room, and it's hard to not just die quickly. And so what they do is they set up the mechanics to basically allow you to absorb a lot of damage, but it's not good. Uh, but the the idea of Night City, the the idea of cyberpunks, you know, of street samurai and mm-hmm. of, hackers and yeah, netrunners and uh, you know, I even enjoyed Shadowrun a bit. I mean, I didn't love it. I didn't love that sort of blending of genre. Uh, which is why Rifts never appealed to me that much and mm-hmm. why I think I never moved deeply into GURPS because I think I always saw it as very genre blending, even though I know you can run straight fantasy GURPS, you know, whatever. I, I just always saw it as genre bending and, and that sort of thing. Didn't I like my genres kind of pure. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's because I am like that curmudgeon guy. I like, <laughs> I do, I like purity in a, in a, you know, it's, I don't disagree. I don't even allow, allow black powder weapons in my my fantasy. Yeah, games. like Warhammer had like the very most rudimentary uh, black powder weapons, like the blunderbuss, and even that I would make so rare and so dangerous to use that most characters wouldn't go near it. Right. But I, yeah, I don't like genre bending. I don't know why. I know for some people that's like the be all end all, right? They love to throw their chocolate into their peanut butter. Yeah, let's take some space marines and chuck them into, you know, D and D. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, that whole uh, you know expedition of Barrier Peaks is all about genre bending, and I remember it being a fun module, but not as fun to me as like Tomb of Horrors, right? Or, uh, Ravenloft, or yeah. Borderlands, or yeah, it, yeah, Descent to the Depths, or Against the Giants. All of those were the ones that really I remember with the deepest of good times. And Barrier Peaks was interesting, but it really did feel like a stupid one-off. That uh, I I don't know, I, I don't know if at the time I guess uh, Gamma World was already out, so maybe it was an attempt to. To sort of lure people into Gamma World a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's not for me. I don't even do it in my writing. You know, I don't really genre bend in my in my writing either. I I, I try to stay relatively pure. If I decide I'm going to write fantasy, then that's that's what, not that I'm much of a writer writing that much. Well, I mean, when you're writing fantasy, though, are you writing it in? Is it like urban fantasy no. or is it Mm-mm. like true? I, I think it's sort of classic medieval to early Renaissance style sure. European fantasy. I, I I think that's what I was raised on. Is that, I don't know. That's what I absorbed. Yeah, what you grew up on. Yeah, it's what I absorbed primarily, even though there were hints and flavors of other cultures. I think always it felt primarily uh, European and medieval so yeah although i 
I've tried to deviate a bit to, to open myself up to other things. Look, I'm not much of a writer. I mean, you know, there's not much to say that I've written that's not really... I mean, I love to write. I think like, a lot of role-playing guys are frustrated writers. That's, well, I mean, that's what role-playing is for a lot of people. It's their opportunity to do some writing but not have the pressure of trying to write a novel. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we did... NaNoWriMo, that National Novel oh, Writing God. Month. And it it was a good experience for me. I enjoyed it. I remember doing it the first year and not completing it and forcing myself that next year to really dig in and complete it. And I did, and I enjoyed that process, but it did feel like an awful lot of self-pressure. Yeah. yeah At, it was pretty sloggy. Yeah. That's something that I I really felt. Here's the thing, like uh, with with any of my writing that I've done, it is mostly it's not shared, uh, and there's no quick way to share a long form piece of writing. Even a short story, I guess, could relatively easily be shared, but few people are going to give you the time for that, and you're not going to get sort of a an immediate response to it. So it's tough because you're depending sort of, on what it is. I mean, um, like what the Martian was written in a serial format on a website. Um, when he was writing that, he just started on his, on a website and just started writing and throwing out episode after episode, chapter after chapter. And somebody picked it up. It's funny that you mentioned that because I just heard an interview on Joe Rogan with, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh. I love him. He's so good, right? And yeah. uh yeah, but he said that the the writer, the author of The Martian really got with him to try to make sure that the science was as right as it could be, mostly because he had seen so many times uh him tweeting like about the wrong science in right. movies. Right. Andy Weir. That was the guy yeah. that wrote the Martian. Yeah, I, I did not read it, I did not see it. Uh, I must confess I have not spent time with the Martian. But but you, you do a bunch of writing. I mean, you write more than I do, I think. Um, in spurts, I think. Um, I, I spend a lot of time writing. I don't know if any of it's any good. Maybe there's a little imposter syndrome there. Um, That's the syndrome of the day. my fair share. Yeah, it seems to be. There's yeah. a lot of that going around. Yeah. So, But that's what you went to school for. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got a bachelor's degree in it, and I started a master's in fine arts program that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. So right, because it was not allowing you to write what you wanted to write. Or yeah, they were really kind of pushing me towards literary fiction, and I didn't want to mess with that. I just want to write fun genre stuff. But do you feel you know? like that's a path that they want you to walk because because that's the crucible by which you're sort of created or I think it was a combination of that and it was a relatively new program and they want graduates to go out and write and get published and talk about the school, right? Hey, I graduated from this school. You should go to their MFA program because I'm now a published author. Gotcha. Um, so I think it was probably a combination of those things and, and don't get me wrong. It's a hell of a lot of work. Um, it was low residency. So you're producing lots of pages over the course of a semester. 
And when you're writing stuff that you don't enjoy writing, it becomes tough right. to continue with it. So, so, so you deviate off of that path, and now you still want to write, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So what do you do? How do you find those 10,000 hours, right? Because that's what it is. It's 10,000 hours before you're proficient in, in, a, yeah. in something. That's... Um, I don't know. I haven't found them yet. Do you think like writing groups, is that an option even online or? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. For me, it's just sitting down at the computer and just banging away for a couple hours every night. Do you do that? Most nights I try to, yeah. Okay. I, I can't say I'm really consistent about it. Um, I mean, I listened to your podcast from a couple of days ago and um, I spend eight, 10 hours at a computer at work and I come home and spend another five or six hours at a computer at home. And that doesn't leave me a lot of time to take care of me. You need that. You need right. that. Yeah. Get out and go for a walk or yeah, yeah. mow the lawn or whatever. And life can be a little bit too much sometimes. Sure. No, absolutely. You got to take care of yourself. You can't get any of the other things done if you're not in relatively mediocre shape. You don't need to be in like super tip top shape, but you got to be right. healthy enough to engage in those things. Because when you're not healthy, you're not going to be engage engaging in those activities anyway. Right. Right. They'll be done. They'll be over. Um, yeah, I know there was a time where I really did try to devote a lot of time to writing. And I don't know. I, I guess I simply was unwilling to do the 10,000 hours. I think that's yeah. really what it boiled down to. And so, uh, because I think anybody, I mean, you, you need some talent. I don't, I think to say that you can just do the 10,000 hours and then you'll be at some sort of proficiency level that will ensure success. That's not true. I mean, that's not true with anything, I don't think. But with something creative, I think even less. I think you have to have something. Uh, yeah, and it depends on what and who you're writing for. Well, do you have an audience in mind when you're writing now? No, yeah, me. Just you? Yeah. I mean, I don't ever, I never did believe that I was going to make a living off of writing. Um, so you, I just write what I think is fun and what I think is interesting. And if nobody ever reads it, I'm cool with that. I got that. But if you don't give yourself any path to success then how do you know you can't earn a portion of a living or uh, just a small stream of revenue from from the writing? I don't. All right. I don't know. You know, I, I mean, you created a module and you put it out for sale. I did. Well, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the first module, The Adventure Most Fail, I wrote but wasn't mine. It belonged to somebody else, and I wrote it for mm -hmm. somebody else, and I take a small piece of it every time it sells, but I don't, I don't own it in the sense that those words are definitely mine. I don't really own that work. And then A Baker's Denizen, I wrote, and that was all mine, but quite honestly, I very quickly moved it to a like pay-what-you-want sort of setup on OBS because... And not that I didn't think it was worth money. I just thought that I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I just yeah. thought that I wanted to, I would, it was more important for me to have people 
download it and enjoy it on some level than to walk away with $4 from it. You know, I 100% agree. Um, you know, uh, we both love food and we love to cook. Oh yeah. And for me, my dad owned a restaurant. It was a mobile restaurant, but it was a restaurant. Nonetheless, yeah, he, owned, he owned a physical restaurant too. You don't have to qualify, but okay. And for me, I could probably make food that people would buy, but I'm just as happy making it for people and giving it away and having them enjoy it. And I think writing for me is like that as well. Throw it out there. And if somebody likes it, great. And if they don't, don't eat it. Okay. Well, I get that, but, but you know, you're not even throwing it out there to give somebody the option to say, Hey, I like what I'm reading here. Would you be interested in, writing with me or for mm -hmm. the, I'm an illustrator. I need words to go with these illustrations or you're not, you're not pushing that in any way. No, not at all. Is that because of feeling like the work is just not up to snuff? I mean, I will say like, you know, when I have a piece of writing and I need critical eyes on it, you're, you're the person I go to. You're, you know, you are an excellent editor. Uh, your suggestions are good, both grammatically and even when it comes to, you know, a turn of phrase. I, I, I've taken more than I've rejected, certainly. So what stops you from from putting something? I mean, you, you're you not interested in writing modules, I don't think, uh, or doing that sort of writing. Or maybe you are. I don't know. We never really talked about it. No, not really. Okay. Modules are a little bit too restrictive so, for me. I, I don't even use them in my gaming, let alone want to write one. Okay. Uh, short stories? Is that? Yeah, I think a combination of short stories. I'm dabbling with doing a world-building project. Okay. So is there going to be some sort of online presence for the material? Yeah, I, I'm already starting to post um, game recap stuff. Um, out on uh, my website, hedgewriter.com. Um, and that's not really my writing. It's just kind of recappy stuff. But right. that'll be the venue going forward, I would think. Okay. I mean, you got to take whatever path you feel like is the right one for you. I I don't like when it, I'm saying like a lot. It's really, it's aggravating me now at this point. You know, I'm, sometimes I get sick of myself. Uh with the photography that I do, I, look, I never expect to make a nickel on photography, nor do I really want to. I feel like if I start making money or I start having those feelings about turning it into revenue, then I'm, it's going to be work and it won't be fun and yep. I won't want to engage in it anymore. And, and that sort of stops me from doing that no one has by the way asked me to do anything professionally and i certainly do not i have not put in my ten thousand hours and i do not feel that the work is bad but i do not at this point but i do not feel like the work is worthy of a check so i i have no aspirations or inclination to do that i do however like talking about the work it's part of why i'm in a photo club here locally it's part of why i have an instagram account 
for people to follow if they want to. Um, it's why I post to Flickr, although quite honestly, Flickr really is a repository and I don't expect as many eyeballs on it there as possible. It's where, I, I mean, I have a separate Howard Belloff Twitter account that just is my photography. And, and that also just helps keep me organized. I have sort of my Goblin Stomper gaming world that I can keep in one corner and then the other account is about photography so I can follow photographers and, and look at work and also uh, share work and that's just that world. I don't use social media for personal stuff essentially. So right. That's really it's what just it's for. for your for your photography and for your game. Yeah, yeah, it's for my creative my creative yeah. lives. You know, I think that that's really what the internet's for. It's for sharing your creative life with people. Yeah, and and so. you know, compared to me, you're prolific. With what? With regard to photography your, versus writing? Well, no, your your output on on internet venues. Oh, well, you know, podcast, Twitter, yeah, cuz I'm an opinionated I'm an opinionated prick. So, of course, <laughs> of course I need like I need like hallways to yell down, you know, I'm a disruptive student, you know. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I, I want some, I'm not, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm not online for attention. No, I'm, I'm a thousand percent online for a certain level of attention. I, I think anybody that claims otherwise is just lying, uh, just flat out lying. But I'm also there because I want to share in the creative process with people. I mean, it's why I, I love, I, the best part about writing a blog post isn't having aired my opinion or discussed a topic or made a magic sword. The best part of it is there's a comment and somebody read what I wrote and I get to, oh, let's have a discussion about this thing that you do or don't agree with me about. So the photography, right. I wish there was more interaction with that. You know, when you share to Instagram, you just get likes and likes are not, they're fine. It's nice that I take a picture. I took a picture last week. I got like 80. I said liked again, and I'm going to say likes because I'm saying like. Um, I got like 80. Oh, I did it again. I can't stop myself. I got, I received, I think, 80 or 81 likes. I think it's the most likes to any single photograph I've gotten thus far. I didn't even like the photograph that much. It's not my favorite photograph of the month. I feel like there was better work. So I, it's, not, it's not a trusted source, getting likes on Instagram. But it is an easy way for people who do know me, to, who are interested in my work, like you or Dennis. Right. or um, you know, I have a, a friend that I used to work with, Tony, and he, he saw actually a picture on Facebook. And he's like, oh, is, what does this work? And I'm like, oh, just go to Instagram. And then he got with me again. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize you were doing so much. This is great. Keep it up. So, you know, uh, that's who I want to fight for my parents. I don't know if it's my mom or my dad, cause they share every online account. <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest thing? It's like the two of them, but one online presence. So I never know who it is that likes something, you know, that's weird. Well, my mom has no online presence, so <sighs> she still has a flip phone. Oh, my mother loves her iPad. Oh, don't take her iPad from her. It will be a bad day for you if she cannot words with friends. 
Oh, jeez. It will be a bad day. I mean, I gave my mom one of my old iPads, but she doesn't even have the internet. So she just plays like card games and stuff on it. Right. I love when you meet people who don't have the internet. You know, they are they are truly they have made a very hard I feel like for them it's an easy choice, but it's not. I feel like you're basically saying I reject that part of the world. I I disavow that space that you have created. I say it does not exist. The thing is, is she she gets so bored. I don't know why she just doesn't get the internet. I mean, you can't be bored with the internet. No. Well, I guess you could. Bad things could happen with the internet, too. What if your mom, like, found, uh, like, Tinder? (laughs) You know? Is there Tinder for old people? can't even imagine. She, like, swipes left, like, 50 times, and then all of a sudden she's like, hmm, that man looks tasty. I'm going to swipe right on him. And I just made your mom black, by the way. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, like, I, you know, my dad is so funny with the, with the Internet. You know, like I gave him a, a – he reads a lot of – he likes like W.E.B. Griffin. And he okay. likes uh, Len Dayton. He likes guys who talk about spy stuff and war stuff and cop stuff, you know, t- typical typical alpha male. So he, <laughs> he reads that stuff. And – so I, I said, oh, get this Amazon Kindle, Fire or whatever Kindle. No, just a regular Kindle, like a Paperwhite or something. And then I get books and I send them to him. You know, it doesn't cost him anything. Mm-hmm. And I just get whatever the latest book he wants. He calls me on the phone and he gives me a list of books and I find them and I, I give them to him. And every once in a while, he forgets the process for like reading the book. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling him to go to Amazon and download a book. I'm sending him a book as if it's a document, and you have right. to go into your documents section. It's, it's a little complex. It's not aggressively complex technological instructions. But for a 73-year-old man, you might as well be telling him to work on, like, any act. Like, I need you yep. to go in and find the one burned-out vacuum tube, and you got to replace that. Here's your test kit. Go. You know. It's a, it's a struggle. It's a struggle yeah. for him, you know. And when he forgets, he just forgets. And and uh, I have to send my sister over to like redirect. Oh, there's the books. You know, my mom will come over with her little Kindle. She's got a Kindle Fire. I think we got that for her. She wanted to right. play games on it. Sure. Not like she's going to read a book or anything, but um, she comes over here and hooks up to my Wi-Fi so she can update her games because they'll stop. Right from playing them after yeah. a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she gets frustrated. She'll come over for coffee on a Saturday morning and bring her Kindle and give it to me. Can you make this work again? <laughs> it's amazing how technology is just so pervasive for us. And I can't even imagine from my son, you know, he's 13. Oh, God. What his world is like, you know, you, you know, somebody when I was 13 and whatever, 1980, whatever, came up to me with an iPhone or an Android phone. I've been like, I, I would have my shit. Well, I would have asked them where the Enterprise landed so I can get on board and fly <laughs> away with them. Because that's uh, that's so awesome. That must be from outer space. That's amazing. We still treat all the technology that comes out. We still treat it with a certain awe and reverence that I think like if you're under 25, you don't you just don't have it. You just it's it oh, another another amazing device. 
Uh, awesome. I can't imagine life without it. No. Oh, cars drive themselves now? Well, that's perfectly normal. You know, no, that's not normal, man. That's completely not normal. That's the Jetsons. Yeah. Yeah, that's all kinds of... That's Kit. You know? Knight Rider. That is Knight Rider. That is Kit. That is Michael. That is, you know... That's amazing. That's freaking amazing. That that operates and functions on any level is amazing. We are way off the gaming path here, but that that functions in any way, shape, or form is a complete miracle to me. It's it's science that's so advanced to my brain that it literally is magic, right? And because <laughs> it's so advanced, I don't under I I guess I, someone could break it down for me. Maybe Neil DeGrasse Tyson could come break it down for me. But I don't know how that shit works. I'm just it's science magic to me. And my son's like, oh, they, yeah, cars drive themselves. Of course they do, you know. He, it's the same world for him where TV shows are accessible no matter what time it is. And no matter where you are. Right. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing. So uh, what are your gaming plans this week? Do you have upcoming plans? Yeah, we got a home game uh, on Saturday. The uh, one that you run. Yeah, the one that I run. So what is the, the nature of that game? Uh, it's 5e as well. It Yeah, it's 5e. And you're just sandboxing it with them? Um, kind of. I've got a storyline in the background. Um, the premise behind it is uh, there's uh, the world is called Contention. And there's a southern landmass and a northern landmass with a small connection between the two. And... Um, Right now, the the Gith are busy trying to figure out how to in, invade and rape and pillage the entire world, and the party is off on this epic quest to find these heroes of lore that can help to defeat the Gith. Are you railroading the shit out of them? I am not. No. Good. Um, I Good. feel like I want to, but I I'm not. You got to hold back. It it is something we have to be cognizant of. Oh. All yeah. the time, you've got to be wary that you are not all of a sudden railroading the shit out of your players because you will. Yeah. You just will. Yeah. It, it's not wide open, Sam. They're not going to go off and do things that aren't driving that timeline, mostly because they just don't do that. They tend to follow along relatively well. Um, Probably because they have no experience in a world that just sandboxes them. Correct. Right. That's what I find. I find most people who play, most younger, newer players to the game, especially those playing 5e, they are not used to a sandbox game. So unless someone really introduces them to that style of play, which is definitively old school, right? Then mm-hmm. they're just not going to, they're just going to wait for story to unfold before them. Well, and there are some nights where I say, what do you guys want to do tonight? They don't and know what to do they with themselves. Just look at me. Yeah, and, deer in a headlight. Yeah, they right. Don't. And I say, okay, so here's the three or four storylines we got going on right now. Which one are you going to go after? Oh, we're going to do that one. Right. So you still have to feed them something. Yeah, a little bit. Did you ever just say, okay, so the story opens? It is you know Wednesday evening, whatever you call your Wednesday in your game, and you are in the tavern after having been wherever caves of. Creighton or whatever, Caves of Chaos, whatever you've been doing. And uh, you're in the you're in the inn, the inn of the, you know, tickle testicle. And uh, it's a fairly busy evening. Um, regular crowd. 
looks like a new musician. What do you do? Do you ever just leave them like there? No. What what do you think would happen if you I, just gave them like that sort of stone cold opening? They'd do something. They would in they would engage. They would just yes. sit there with sheets yeah, in their absolutely. hand waiting for a story to happen. Matter of fact, um I've been kind of putting more of the adventure on them as time goes by. So I would say the first I don't know, two months, three months. Uh, I was feeding them pretty hard and then I started to back away a little bit and now I'm to the point where I'm like, okay, you walk into the, you know, the twisted route and there's some people in there. There's a, there's a bartender. He's a gruff old guy. And then I'll look at one of them and say, who else is in here? Hmm. And I'll give them the opportunity to come up with, ah, there's a grizzled old elf sitting in the corner. Okay. Why is that unusual? Right. Well, elves don't usually look grizzled and old. Right. Okay. And oh. I'll get them to help create a little bit. That's good. I find, yeah, I mean, I don't play in a lot of games with a lot of new players. So, uh, you know, my Thursday night game, it's, oh, I left my air on. Oh, it's going to be playing in the background. All right. Well, it's just what it'll be. It's hot. It's like 98 degrees here or something. So, sorry. Um. Yeah, the guys I play with on Thursday night, it's very sandboxy. You know, we're doing keep on the borderlands and we literally could walk in any direction, just plop into any hex and there would be something to fight or there wouldn't. There'd be something to talk to or there wouldn't. And that's just how it plays out. And it's 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 been a while since I've played in a really solid sandbox. So it's it's nice not to be driven by uh, hooks. Right, all over the place. I feel like yeah, as a DM, I'm used to dropping a lot of hooks, and yeah, you can't take a a step without hitting a hook in my my game. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, Kelly has some hooks, I think. But and there's you know the primarily there. I mean, Keep on the Borderlands has a story essentially, but you really go at the whole process at whatever your pace is and wherever you mm -hmm. want to. So. Uh, have you have you ever played in a like a Western Marchers kind of game where mm. players are in and out and you start in one place and end in that same place when you're done for the day? No, mm -mm. no. It's interesting to me. I I I know that I could if I wanted to drop into maybe Hobbs's Kalamata game, which I think is like that. Uh, but there's only so many hours in the day. Right. So I've got the Thursday night game and I've got the every other Sunday. And that really is for the most part, that's the, my willingness to commit a hundred percent. I have casually committed to a WFRP game of first edition roll 20 game because I am interested in it, but I, I think it's going to attempt to emulate that Kalmata sort of drop in, drop out scene. Yeah. Obviously, if I like it, then I'll be present more. And if I don't like it, I won't be present at all. But, but I'm willing to give it a fair shake. How do they how do they manage the the varying levels of characters that are dropping in and out? I, I have no idea. Hobbs huh. Hobbs would know. I I don't know. I imagine that it does not matter. That essentially, you just when you're the DM, you just run by, you know, if it's if it's completely table driven you know where you're just rolling at every hex to see what's there 
And it, it either says, you know, there's a wandering monster or there's a merchant or there's a, a dungeon or the, whatever. The, the dice control the entire situation. I imagine, and the dice don't care if you're level one or level 100. Yeah, and I suppose when we're thinking OSR, they're probably not above level five or six. No, and and the thing about OSR play in general is that uh, one of the early lessons you learn when you're playing those games is running away is acceptable. And that that's not so with many other games, but right. running away is not just acceptable, it's expected that you will encounter things that you cannot handle and you should avoid them if possible and not be eaten by them if possible. So... I imagine it just operates, and I don't think I don't think you just. I think if you create a new character, you start at the beginning, and if you want that character to really grow, then you've got to be present at games to get that XP. What's the What's the highest level campaign character that you've ever had? Ooh, high, pretty high. I mean, high. did you, you you dug into the upper levels like the upper teens yeah yeah i think so i i think i've definitely broken into teens i don't know how high those teens went but i also don't think that those games were necessarily being run correctly uh, well i say correctly they were just they were being run in a way that was XP heavy and, you know, because they were gold right. heavy or magic heavy or whatever. So there was a lot of level jumping, you know, I, I mean, mm -hmm. you've, you've played in games where you've gone from level one to level four very quickly. Right. Without barely trying. And I think if the closer you get to rules is written, the, the harder that is, the more time really that there needs to be spent. I mean, we're playing BX now and I was at level one for, eight games some crazy you know and then i was just at level two and i'm still i'll be at level two for a while uh so and and i don't think it's anything unfair i mean there's four or five players at a time there's not an excessive amount you're not finding like a chest with ten thousand gold in it sure so that xp just isn't being piled on also i think it's important to take into consideration that while i did game in groups um, in my youth, I also did a lot of one-on-one -on -one gaming. You know, I think that uh, that environment, that one-on-one -on -one style play tends to heap a lot more XP on you than you would get in a group. Well, uh, yeah, it's tough to fight a single orc. Well, it's just that you're not dividing everything up five ways, first of all. So when you get a chest of 10,000 gold, that's your 10,000 XP. It's yours. It's all yours. And so if you're playing with a DM who, who does that to you, then you're going to skip levels quickly. So, yeah, I've, I've played in some interesting games. I played in a game, I think, that Dennis was running that may have been like a one-on-one -on -one campaign where I was very powerful very powerful sorcerer who was a complete physical mess but um it, it doesn't matter it's a it's a, it's a deep story to go into yeah but but it didn't matter bottom line is uh yeah i've played at those upper levels not aggressively and not generally speaking in a group i think most groups i've played in 
characters have ranged between level 1 and level 8 or level 9. And that's really as long as anything ever goes on before a, a DM tends to just burn out. Right. Right. Or you lose players or the campaign yeah, falls, apart. falls apart. I mean, even yeah. as kids, it, that would happen. So, um, it, you know, and I, I understand. I've played as, as much as I've DM'd. I, I don't know what the percentages are. Probably equal. So I know what it means to just be like, I just can't run another game tonight. Right. You know, I'm done. Yeah. I just can't do, I need, in order to get this DM juice back, I got to play. Well, I think that works. That's what works the best for you, Dennis and I, when we game. Is the rotating DMC. Any yeah. one of us can jump in and grab it for a six month period or a year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And by the time you're done, you're burned, you're expended. Somebody else is chomping at the bit. Right to be the They've guy got running some it. idea in the back of their head. Yeah, or... mm-hmm. yeah, and especially with fantasy grounds, it gives me a lot of time to build something out so that I have a nice framework for a blendy, story-driven slash sandboxy space to then continue building on a world that I've been building forever. So, I mean, I've been building Thayrun for I don't know how many years, and well, ten at least. Yeah, I think. So, and I don't, I don't really plan on stopping because a world, a single world is really enough. If you think about it, there's just yeah, no I think reason. Depending on how you play it. Yeah. You know, you've been in my games. People in my games move around the world quite a bit really early on. They move about a lot and they get there quickly. Yes. Which I don't understand, but I just roll with it because that's your style. That's your style. So that has a tendency to shrink the world a little bit uh, right. for my players. Yeah. yeah. I, I know DMs that can run six months in a 10-mile square. Well, uh, I think that it, I think that what's happening is that some DMs take movement more seriously. That they, they understand both the difficulty of movement, whether on foot or on horseback, and, mm-hmm. the, and the real distances which people can travel over relatively short periods of time. Uh, and, and some DMs just don't, they disregard that. They just say, well, I want you to get from city A to city B, and so we're going to say that that happened in three weeks and there was no problem. Right. And and that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with moving the pieces about the board in that way if if that's what if that's how you want to play it. Uh that's not playing wrong. That's not wrong fun. But but it's a style, it's a choice. You know I don't I don't think it's I think you have to know what sort of DM you're gonna be at the start of the campaign. Absolutely. Because it's there, there are things that where as a player I notice the change. Oh well, last week we could go 500 leagues in a session, and this week we can't go 10 miles, and that will aggravate the shit out of me. But as long as you're consistent with the behavior, uh, it's I think it's fine. I don't have a problem staying relatively close to a particular space, but I haven't had many DMs that play it that way. I've had a few, but not many. Because really, if you think about it, covering a hundred leagues 
how many random encounters do you have to roll? A lot. Yeah. Like, if you're really following any sort of structure, uh, you have to roll a lot to figure out if you're attacked or not attacked. And the odds are they're not going to make it. Right. I mean, you know, Dennis and I, we're we're coming up on an hour, but I want to just share this funny, this is kind of a funny story. So a few months ago when Dennis and I and and Jenny, when when we took... uh, Dennis's mom's ashes up to Syracuse, where she wanted to be sort of spread on the lake. We we drove. We, he he flew to Philadelphia, and then we drove up in a car he rented. And he had relatives up there, and it was a great it was a great drive. And and I don't it was on the way up, and we were driving through a lot of mountains. And Dennis turned to me and said, "Could you imagine?" trying to travel through here on horseback with no roads and and honestly i i'd driven through pennsylvania new york and any number of places any number of times and never really gave it that much thought but it's true it would be like impossible it would be such a slow journey mm-hmm to get from Philadelphia to Syracuse and on horseback. And you never just get there straight. You could never get there straight. It would not be easy. It would, you know, given all of the sort of medieval problems that people would have, not to mention armor and weapons and orcs and whatever, weather, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. It You Having realize... Having for your food yes, and find water. yes. You all of a sudden realize how completely ridiculous travel in the game is. It's brushed off like it's no big deal, but it is. It, it's the real enemy. It's the actual enemy. Forget random encounters; they're not the problem. Just getting from point A to point B, and Philadelphia to Syracuse is not so far as you know. As uh, Waterdeep to Miriabar, you know, it's just not right. These are those are those are great. Those are vast distances, uh, or or you know, ten towns to Waterdeep. That's a long journey over a lot of different terrain. Yep, and with a lot of random wandering monsters and craziness happening. Just insanity. How does anybody get from one place to another? It just doesn't yep. even make sense. Look, it's fantasy. It's role play. It's not real. Obviously, it's, you know, you can't compare the two things. But the next time you're driving on the highway through some mountains, like take a good look around and think about how crazy that trip would be in fantasy terms, you know, in like role playing yep. terms. Let alone dragging around a bag with 150 gold in it, which weighs however many pounds. It's insane. It's insane. And but it's that shouldn't detract from your fun. You know, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. You shouldn't be removed from feeling in the moment because all of a sudden you realize how hard that travel would be. But travel in your world, like you have to disregard that it makes no sense. You just have. Yeah. To. You have yeah. to. If you're gonna have if fun you about it, you're never gonna make it. Yeah. If you're going to have fun, you have to just go with it. And vice versa, if you have a a DM who's a little more serious about 
traveling the distance between two spaces and what's really involved. Well, that, that, that I think if he's a good DM, that can be woven well into the, into the game. Sure. Could also become such a downer that you just don't want to play with that guy anymore because getting from town A to town B has become just far too difficult. But I, I think most DMs, they tend to just make a couple of quick rolls and you've gone from one place to another. And, and that, that's over because it's not... A, the, the journey is disregarded. And yet, in, our, in some of our greatest fantasy literature, the journey is the most important part. It's not the arriving. Right. You know, The Hobbit is all about the journey. Um, the Belgariad is like 99% about the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure I could think of others really put my mind to it. Uh, I, I know in in Fawford and the, and the Mouser, uh, everything's lot, about the journey. There's a lot of journey going on there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of authors handle it pretty. You know where the the journey is where the character growth happens, where real experience is gained, and and arriving somewhere is far less important. So I don't know. Uh, we started on a gaming note. I guess we're ending on a gaming note, you know. Yeah, speaking of arriving, I think we've arrived at the end of our conversation. We have arrived at the end of an hour. God knows we could talk endlessly about a million things. So, all right, well, why, uh, I, I, you know, I, I hesitate to do this, but I sort of feel like I should challenge you to put something out there. You know, you've been writing, you went and you spent all this time to become a writer on paper, like you have a degree that says that's what you should be able to do. I, you are not even sharing your writing with me. I'm not really seeing anything that you're doing. So I, I want you to share something, share something this week. I, I don't know where we can put it. Maybe we can put it on, uh, I'll put it on, my, it on my website. Or you put can, it on your... I'll put it on my blog. Um, I mean, this is going to go up tomorrow with a blog post. If you already have something that you feel comfortable with, send it to me and I'll put it on that. But I can put up a 10 blog posts a day. It's not a big deal. So whenever you're ready, uh, but before our next, give people an opportunity to find it. And before our next conversation happens, we'll put it out there. And uh, nothing could happen, right? I mean, you could put it out there. And literally, well, look, I'm going to read it, so I'm going to tell you what I think. So you're going to have at least one response. But but that could be all you get. You Which know. is fine. I get it. But, you know, you get to see my pictures all the time. And fair is fair. <laughs> you know? I share my photographs with you all the time. I know I haven't shared any of my micro farm project with anybody yet. I get it. I'm working on that. That's been like my summer project. Actually, it's been going on since February, January, February. You're, you're gonna you're gonna bind that and and print it, right? I don't know. I wanna, you know what? You're gonna have a lot to do with that because there's gonna be words to go with it, and I'm gonna have to try to build something in InDesign, a PDF of some kind, and I'm gonna need help, and I'm gonna need editing, and I'm gonna need opinions. And between you and Heidi, I've got a. I got to figure out what does or doesn't work. Maybe, you know, I'll tell you something interesting about that project as quick as I can. I've gone out every month since February to make photographs about the subject matter 
which is these micro farms, these immigrants' micro farms, which I don't know that I've talked about on the podcast, but it, it's too deep to go into now. The bottom line, or the bottom line, the, the, the interesting thing is after I'm done making photographs, I bring them back here and I put them on two hard drives so that I have a backup. And I, I also have a backup that goes to work, that stays at work. So I have an off-site backup. I have not looked at a single photograph I've made. Not one. Not one. Mm -mm. I mean, other than chimping in the camera to make sure that I've gotten something. Mm -hmm. uh, the process after I've gotten home is simply to archive the work. I have done not a single post-processing on a single image. I have not looked at a single group of images to see what I've created, uh, to see if what's viable and what's not. I've done nothing. I want, I want the gathering, I want the, the photograph making to be a cycle. I want the, the culling and then the post-processing to be a cycle. And then I want the building of that story to be a cycle. It's going to be, when you start looking at those pictures, it's almost going to be like seeing them for the first time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even though you took them, you're still, yeah. it's like digging for gold, right? You're going to have all these snaps and you're not going to know which is which. And The experience of doing it has also been really interesting. You know, uh, it's primarily images of the micro farms and, and the Asian immigrants, mostly Chinese, who are creating them many of which, most of which have no English. They have no English and my Chinese is ni hao and xie xie. So that's it. I know how to say thank you and I know how to say hello. And that's really it. And meeting people and trying to communicate throughout the process because they don't understand why I'm making Doing, a photograph right. or who is this weird white man walking around making photographs of my long beans, you know, or, or, you know, early on in the season, I was making photographs of nothing but, but dirt and trellis work. And, and, uh, that's, that's been its own weird process. And you're kind of coming to the end of it, right? So I'm coming to the end of the, first part. the end of it. A lot of the harvest has happened. I went out yesterday and made a bunch of photographs and I can see the end of a lot of the farm space. And then I think I'm going to go out in another two weeks or three weeks just to take a few final photographs because I know that that'll be it after that. There's just not a lot of fruits and vegetables hanging. There's not, there's not a lot left. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm also going to try uh, to get in touch with some people who can speak English from the immigrant community and, and maybe do, do some, some interviews. interviews. Yeah. Because I feel like there's parts of what's going on that I, because I can't communicate with the people that I'm meeting on the street that, that I'm missing. Some of sure, it, the, some of the it, story that you, the story that you make up is never going to be as good as the real story. No, no, I want their story. And, and in some instances, uh, Parents have called out young children who do speak English to, to translate, and that's been great. Uh, that's been really helpful. But I think the children don't know how to 
they can translate back and forth, but I can't really communicate directly to someone. And, and I think that they're not really grokking like what I'm doing or why I'm doing it or why it's interesting to me. Because mm-hmm. I think they're just doing what they would do anywhere, you know. Uh, but why? What did they do back in China? And wh- why do they? Why are they bringing that here? And you know, because there's Chinese markets, man. There's Asian markets. They can get right. the long beans and the bitter melon and whatever. So, in some instances, it's been made uh, aware. I've been made aware of the fact that it's it's about saving money. But I don't. I don't. I think there's something deeper. It's not. Well, there's got to be some cultural component of it. There is absolutely there is. So I have a line on some things for that, and that'll be sort of in phase two, I think, as I'm going through and culling and doing post processing. I'll be able to bring with me some photographs to show a few of the people who I plan to contact. There's a woman who's in charge of the Chinese Immigrant Cultural Association in the area. Um, strangely, uh, the woman who does my manicures and pedicures, her family. They own a, a, a you know manicure pedicure place. They're Chinese and they live in the neighborhood, so uh, I think they're going to be a great resource. I hope I hope they'll be a good resource. Uh, it's eh, I don't I, I don't want to dig too deep into that. That's if we if we no, can do we, that on the next yeah we have another podcast coming. If you're really interested, um, you know write down some questions. I'll I'll talk about it next time. We're already at at one oh eight, so I think we should we should call it quits. These people are gonna they're gonna their drive is already long over. So you know. Hopefully okay. this has been uh this has been hopefully entertaining to all the folks out there who have been checking out the Goblin Stumpcast. Darren, I'll uh I'll wrap with you later on in the week. We'll try to Sunday it up again if we can. Sounds good. Hopefully right. Fantasy Grounds will cooperate. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone who's interested in previous episodes or other blog posts, obviously they can just go to uh, goblinstomper.blogspot.com. Uh, they can find the podcast on AnchorCast or just look up the Goblin Stompcast on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. You know, the nice thing about Anchor is it pushes out to pretty much every platform. So if you have a podcast application you're using, chances are if you just punch it. Google Podcasts, Google Play. If you punch in the Goblin Stompcast, one word, to any one of those podcast applications, it it should pop up right away. You don't have to listen to Anchor, even though that's how we're publishing. So that's it. I'm running out of uh, spit with which to make conversation. My mouth is as dry as bone. <laughs> and uh, I, as usual, I'm sure my voice is a bit strained here at the end because I, you know, I overtalk you every time. Sure. Well, no, you carry the you carry the show. Is that really? That's a very nice way to say I'm a I'm a, I'm a podcast bully. <laughs> it's a very nice way to say that. Um, but but that's it. We're gonna we're gonna call it quits tonight. I hope everybody has a great week gaming. Uh, definitely are always looking for feedback. So I think if people have feedback, they can leave it anywhere. They can leave it on the blog. Uh, they can leave it through Anchor. They, if you're on Anchor, you know you can leave a voicemail, which is awesome. I think that's one of its neatest features, to be honest with you, the voicemails. So so that's it. Have a good week, Darren. I will, uh, I'll talk to you later. Take it easy. And, uh, oh, game on. <laughs>